0: All right, well, uh, the song uh, you just sang is, is probably a familiar one, even if this is your first time in church for a very long time. Uh, you may even remember it. Uh, Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts, deemed that Christmas carol the most appropriate Christmas carol for him to conclude his 1960s uh, TV special, uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, or whatever it's called uh, along those lines. And uh, that, that song, originally a hymn, it was actually written in 1739 by a really famous... Uh, pastor and preacher named Charles Wesley. And uh, the reason Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, was not because, you know, he had this aspiration to make it big. And, you know, maybe one day like Michael Buble or Justin Bieber uh, would cover this, you know, song he writes two centuries later. Uh, I mean, he, he wrote it because he was so overwhelmed uh, by one of the most incredible accounts Uh, in the entire Bible uh, of anything that God did. The the passage that inspires what what Wesley wrote uh, in this song that you just sang uh, actually profiles when angels come, and they're sent from God, and they come to shepherds, these very blue-collar guys who are keeping watch over their flock by night. And uh, what what they announce to these shepherds is so deeply moving uh, that they don't speak the announcement, they actually sing it. They actually sing. In fact, um, we're actually going to bring that passage up on this screen so you can see what we're look, we're talking about. It comes from Luke chapter two, verses eight through fourteen, and I'm just going to read the passage so you, you can know what we're talking about. It says, "In this." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, singing to God, celebrating what God is about to do, praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what should be maybe a little bit startling about that is, is... It's hard to to have a story like that that probably many of you have heard a a number of times and be moved by the magnitude of what's happening. But just just think critically about this for a second. Um, It it takes something substantial, uh, even for us as human beings, to break spontaneously into song about something, right? Uh, So even if you uh, go to a musical, uh, and by the very nature of the ticket that you're holding in your hand, you are going to see people spontaneously break into song. It, it requires something of magnitude for the, the people there to break spontaneously into song. It usually requires like the main character falling head over heels with the love of his life. Or where I went to college, for example, our our, our student body would spontaneously break into song, but it was exclusively at football games uh, when my alma mater very rarely would score touchdowns. And then we would break into the school song. It it requires something of great joy and of great magnitude to to lead to just just human beings breaking into song. Now, now think about this critically then. What has to happen for the angels to sing Then, Of what magnitude is transpiring in the words that we just read what is unfolding in the cosmos if the angels themselves sing? What has to happen? It's like they're trying to wrap their minds around the very nature of what's unfolding and what they've come to deliver to God and the good news that they are bringing, and it's difficult for them to really explain it logically or, or, or to really uh, reason it uh, without much emotion, and so they sing the announcement. And when you see what they say, I mean, you see what moved them so deeply. It, it was this series of paradoxes that was difficult for even the angels to wrap their minds around. You know what, you know what a paradox is? You remember that good old uh, SAT word? It's a paradox is are, are two truths that are, that are united together. And on their own, they seemingly cannot coexist with one another. But when they are united to one another, they illuminate a greater and more beautiful truth. And do you see that the paradoxes that emerge from what the angels sing? I mean, look at verse 14 again. Can we bring that up on the screen? The first is this is How does glory bring about peace? And, and do you see this? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How, how does the glory of God bring about peace? Peace, Because back then, just like many religions today, they would understand that the glory, the presence, the magnitude of who God is was so weighty that it was not something that brought about peace. It was something that brought about fear, death, destruction, and isolation. But even back then, they understood God is good, and he is righteous, and we are not, and we are separated from him. And so for God to bring his glory down would not be a good thing, it would be a bad thing. How could glory bring about peace? Similarly, the the second question that they're asking is how does heaven come down to earth? You, You see up there it says glory to God in the highest up in the heavens, right? Glory to God where God dwells in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. How how does the highest, how do the heavens coexist with what's happening here on earth? They they understood back then that that heaven on earth was not reality. That's reserved for nothing but cheesy love songs, right? The the, the notion that that heaven would be manifest on earth was so unthinkable, so unconscionable that, that, that how could this happen? Not only glory and peace, not only heaven and earth, but but how could God be pleased with man? How could God be pleased with man? Because it's glory to God in the highest and on earth uh, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, what we talked about even last week is that the the question that raged for multiple generations leading up to this pronouncement was how can a good God coexist with, with a with a uh, not good people uh, how how could a righteous god make himself uh, near to an unrighteous people how uh, how can a good and righteous groom unite himself wed himself to a significantly blemished bride this question raged for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation H- how can god himself be united with man and it's like they struggle to to wrap their minds around these series of paradoxes again and again these questions how can glory coexist with peace how can heaven come down to earth how can God unite himself to mankind and it's like the angels are so deeply moved by this series of illuminated truths that they can't speak the announcement they have to sing it they are so desperately moved that they have to sing And what's beautiful is that the very announcement relieves the tension that they're trying to wrap their minds around, that the very nature of what we celebrate at at Christmas is that God comes near, is that glory is manifest in a manger and brings about peace, that he who dwells in heaven steps down out of heaven and comes down to earth, that, that, that God, uh, even though he is righteous, willingly chooses to step out of his safety and to empty himself and to be born into a manger, into a, a Middle Eastern town uh, 2,000 years ago so that a couple of blue-collar shepherds could go see and touch and hold in their arms the savior of the world. The, the unapproachable becomes touchable. the the unknowable, the the once unknowable, the once the one who was feared, the once the one who was far off, decides to come near. And what's proclaimed at the message of Christmas is God becomes man and is born in a manger. Is that God is not some distant, cold, far off deity who is immune to the sufferings and the trials and the struggles of the human experience. No, God chooses to come near to move into the neighborhood of humanity and to experience the fullness of what it means to be a human being. What's so beautiful about this is not only that there's this series of paradoxes that are so magnanimous that, that even the angels break out in song, but, but the very fact that, uh, that the events that unfold from this is in themselves the most beautiful paradox of all, that, that when you think about glory, Bringing about peace. When you think about heaven coming down to earth, when you think about God becoming man, so that man might have a relationship with Him, uh, what you would think would unfold from there is that as God becomes man, is born to a major. That He would boor- be born maybe into a palace. He would be born to where it is safe and where it is comfortable and where it is easy, and there He would grow up to reign but no he is born into a manger and he grows up not with the explicit purpose of of growing up to be a great king where he will be very wealthy and be praised he he is born not with the explicit purpose uh, of growing up to be a great philosopher and teacher who will be praised for multiple millennia he he is born not to be grown and grow he grows up not to uh grow up into uh, a great celebrity or uh, a great athlete who will be praised by his culture no Jesus is born with the explicit purpose of growing up to be a great Savior. And that's why we talked about last week, uh, even from the cradle, Jesus has the cross in mind. Even when Jesus is born, he is specifically headed for a life mission uh, of death. We share that because it's so easy for us at Christmas to be inspired, to be motivated, to be uh, moved by just sort of very nebulous, vague Christmas spirit, emotions. But the events that unfolded at Christmas and what we celebrate are very specific in mind is that Jesus was born, yes, that that God, his glory came down to bring about peace, that yes, God, heaven, heaven came down to earth, that yes, God came down to become like one of us so that he might unite himself and redeem and restore men just like you and and women just like you and, and people just like us in this room. But unless we have the cross in mind, the cradle is not fully understood and we cannot appropriately understand and appreciate what God did at Christmas. And so that's what you have to know is that, that what we desire for you, even if this is your first time here, and I understand, normally I get to talk 45, 50 minutes, and I get to plead with you. We're going about eight minutes tonight, okay? It's, it's easy at, at Christmas time uh, to be moved, to be inspired, to be more generous than you typically are, to be more church-going than you typically are, to be kinder than you typically are. But, but here's the thing. It is ultimately what you were meant to do it is not just to be uh, motivated, you were meant to be changed forever changed by the unbelievable truth that made the angels sing that, that led the angels to break into song as they tried to wrap their mind around the fact that glory brought about peace, uh, the fact that heaven came down to earth that the God became like one of us, and he was born so that he might die and he died so that we might live that's that 's the song you just saying. Let let me just show you what you just saying. This is what the hymn proclaims. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Even from Jesus's birth, he had his death in mind so that we in this room might find life in him. And that's what we celebrate. And we feel like even though we desire for you to be moved and even though we desire to get you connected to our church, even if this is your first time, uh, our greatest desire is that the truth of the gospel that begins with Jesus' birth would not just motivate you or inspire you, but it would forever change you and that you would appropriately respond to what Jesus has done in your place on his cross. So let me just tell you what we're going to do now then. Uh, We are going to give you an opportunity to respond through the celebration of communion celebration of communion. So uh, Jesus was not only born, but he grew up, right? He he wasn't just always uh, a tame little baby that you could hold in your own. He he actually grew up. And when Jesus grew up, uh, ultimately he did a lot of great things. He performed a lot of miracles. He had a lot of great teachings. But but at the end of his life, what his singular pursuit was, uh, was dying. And prior to him dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus gathered his closest friends with him, and he shared a meal with them. He shared a meal, and this is the meal that we celebrate even tonight, where Jesus gathered his closest friends, and he took bread, and he broke it. He took wine, and he poured it, and he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. This is my blood that will be poured out for you. Even from the cradle, Jesus had the cross in mind, and that night prior to headed to the cross, he says, every single time you take of this bread, every single time you partake of this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. So let me tell you this. Here's what you need to do then. You need to appropriately respond, not just to the cradle, but to the cross. They're they're inseparable from one another. And that's what we're gonna give you the opportunity to do tonight. In a few minutes after I pray, we're gonna have people to my right and to my left giving you an opportunity to celebrate communion alongside us and we'll have the bread and the cup. And so let me just speak to some of you in the room to tell you what the appropriate action step may be. For some of you in this room, you've been followers of Jesus, and you've not just been inspired by his teachings, you've been changed by the truth of the gospel, that Jesus not only lived for you, but he died in your place. And so what you need to do is to respond to this truth by remembering again, remembering again that Jesus was not only born, but he died and he resurrected in your place. Uh, Others of you in this room, maybe you came tonight and you just, I don't know, you haven't been in church in a while and you went on Google and you forgot, you know, you overslept this morning so you wanted to come and see like what churches meet tonight and we just happened to be in the neighborhood. Maybe that's you. We're really glad you're here. But maybe you stepped into this room not just to be inspired or to go through a Christmas ritual. Maybe you stepped in to be changed. Not by me and not by singing but by God himself, the God who steps into your experience and is born as a baby. And if that's you, and if you want to respond to the truth of the gospel, the great way to take the the first step of believing what Jesus did in your place is by participating in communion. You come up, you participate, you take of the bread, you take of the cup, and you do so in remembrance of Jesus for the first time in your life as a follower of Jesus. Others of you, maybe that's your story. Maybe you found us on Google, you decided to show up, We're glad you're here. Uh, You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe it was just an obligatory thing to show up tonight. Maybe you're just exploring Christianity, but you're just not ready to participate as a follower of Jesus yet. And if that's you, that's fine. We're really glad you're here. You can just sit here. You you can just sit there. You can watch other people participate. Uh, Nobody's going to judge you or or laugh at you or anything like that. You can just sit there. We'll wrap up in a few minutes, but we're really glad you came. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask me uh, as well. All that's to say, let's get beyond the instructions, that the very nature of what Christmas is meant to celebrate uh, is more than inspiration, but instead a series of par- paradoxes, that, that God would do this work to let glory, his glory bring about peace, that heaven would come made, be made manifest on earth, that God would become friends and become well-pleased with man. And he did this through his son, Jesus, who was born into humanity 2,000 years ago, and he grew up. And he died for you. He resurrected for you. And he loves you and desires to save you. We're going to pray. Uh, if whoever is celebrating or helping us lead us in communion wants to go and get the uh, bread and the cup and come up front, and then we will participate. Pray with me now. God, we thank you so much that you have done this great work. In the human story, and have been forever changed. I, I just, I just pray that we would be able to appreciate what we celebrate tonight as more than just a tradition that we as Americans were born into. To wrap our minds around that, the very nature of what we celebrate uh, is not even an American holiday. It was started in the Middle East 2,000 years ago because one baby was born, and God, billions of babies have been born but only one who's the savior of the world and that is what we celebrate and that is what men and women have celebrated for millennia and it's the reason that we gather in this room tonight because ultimately that baby grew up into a man and he did what he promised he would do and he went to the cross and he resurrected from the grave and he so transformed and changed lives that even tonight we gather here 2,000 years later to remember him And so, God, I pray that we not only are inspired by the Christmas, but we are appropriately changed and we appropriately respond to the good news of the gospel, that you not only were born, but that you died and that you rose again on our behalf. We love you, and we thank you for this, and we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.